All right, so we're in our series Multiply. By multiply, we mean with what Pastor Tal has been talking about is to grow, to reproduce, or to increase in number. We want to multiply ourselves in the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at this text, uh, and I'm going to go in a little different direction today. In Mark 15, beginning of verse 42, it says, This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The Roman officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross and wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I thank you for the incredible honor and privilege it is to uh, be able to present your word today. Father, I ask that you help me to uh, present your word clearly and accurately. Father, I pray for everyone that is hearing your words, that they would be stirred, that they would be moved, that they would be encouraged, equipped, strengthened, Lord God, where they're at today, wherever they are. Lord, I know your word is active living and it's true. It's actively working in our lives. So Lord, I pray for Lord, just revelation and a grace to receive it and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say it. Amen. Amen. You know, every day we take risk, right? Whether you know it or not, you might think, well, no, I'm not, re- I'm not a really big risk taker, Brandon. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't really take too many risks. But, but in essence, if you came to, to church today, you took a risk. Isn't that right? You got in your car. Every time you get in the car, you, you, take, a, you take a risk. Matter of fact, the, the more I drive, the, the, the higher I feel like the chances of, of the risk are. You know, I was like my dad used to say, I think some people got their license from Walmart. Because, uh, man, the way that they drive, we saw like two things back to back yesterday on the roads. Like, what are these people thinking? You know, so you take a risk every time you get in the car, you take a risk. You know, if you if you have money in the stock market, if you you have any amount of money in the stock market, you're taking a risk. Some take greater risks, some play it safer. If you have money there, you're, you're, you're taking a risk. If you if you fly, how many of y'all flying here? You get on a plane, you're taking a risk. Some of you are like, brother, that's one risk I am not taking. Y'all like y'all rather stay grounded. But if you fly, you're taking a risk. If you get in a boat, you're taking a risk. If you climb up on a, a six-foot ladder, it don't even need to be that. It can climb up on a on an upside-down five-gallon bucket, you're taking a risk, right? You can fall off. People can, you can break your back, hurt your neck, your big toe, your little toe. We take risk every day, right? Frederick Wilcox said this, progress always involves risk. You can't steal second base and keep your foot on first. You can't steal second base and keep your foot on first. Baseball is in full swing, you know, you know, college baseball and everything. And, and my son's about to start baseball and he's excited. And, and one of the main things he's excited about is that he's, he's fast. And the, the, the league he was in these last two years was coach pitching and they couldn't steal bases. Even if they hit the ball, you can hit it all the way to the fence. You can only take two bases. Well, this year he's moving up a league and he can steal. In this league. So he is, he's stoked. He's ready to steal bases and he's, he's excited because he knows that his speed can get him there. But, um, I don't know if he realized even with that, he's going to be taking a risk, right? Because as soon as he gets off of first base, as good as it can be to steal and he maybe get home, 
There's a risk. He can cause an out, his team an out. And if it's crunch time, he could even cause the team to game if you, if you steal and they, and they throw you out or you try to steal and they throw you out. So in order to make progress, it's the same way. In progress in our lives, progress in the kingdom of God. We've been talking about multiply, multiplying ourselves, making progress, moving forward, winning souls, discipling others, standing for biblical truth. And in order to do that, we're going to have to take some risk. In order to grow, to reproduce, or to increase, we're going to have to take some risk. Just as Joseph of Arimathea did, we're going to have to do the same thing. This morning... I'm here to tell you that multiplication is risky business. Multiplication is risky business. Listen, I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer this morning. You know, I was telling Pastor Kelly, I feel like, the, I don't know, the last couple of messages I've preached, I feel like that, you know, I don't know, sometimes I walk away, feel like I'm maybe being hard or whatnot, but I, I want to speak truth today. Amen? I, I, want to, I want to prepare you and warn you, if you, which a lot of y'all probably already know, that there are risks involved in ultimately serving God and truly living for God. And, 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 and we see this with the text, the example of Joseph. How was Joseph taking a risk? Well, the Bible tells us that he was a, a honored member of the high council, also known as the Sanhedrin. That was the, 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 the top religious leaders of the day, the high priests, the elders, you know, all these guys made up the Sanhedrin. And so he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Well, so why, why does that matter? Well, if you read, the couple chapters before our, uh, Mark 14 and the beginning of 15, the Sanhedrin, the high council, was the group of, of religious leaders that had just sentenced Jesus to death. They hated Jesus. They couldn't stand Jesus. And, and because of the, the, all the works he was doing, the preaching and the healing and people were flocking to him, uh, they got jealous and they sentenced Jesus to death. So for Joseph being an honored member of the Sanhedrin, by him going to do something, he was taking a stand for the Lord Jesus. He wanted to do something that was going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had to take a risk. He had to take a risk in order to do this. Matthew 27, 60 even tells us that he placed Jesus in his own tomb. His own tomb that he had bought, that he had prepared, that he had carved out, the Bible says. So he wanted to, that was a, and today it is too, but especially in that culture, giving someone a proper burial was, was a, a great way to honor them even after they were gone. You know, he took a risk because he knew that he could have, it could have caused him to lose his position on the high council. He would have been rejected by, by his co-workers or his, you know, uh, co-laborers on, on the council. He could have also brought shame upon his family because of this. You know, the Sanhedrin, the, the priest and all these, these guys at the time, you know, this, they, they weren't only the religious leaders, but they were the higher ups in society. You know, people looked to them. They were, like I said, that was honored position. So by him going and, and, and ple- pledging allegiance, so to speak, to this Jesus that the rest of his cohorts had, had voted to, to die, that could have brought shame on his family. He could have looked like a traitor in the eyes of the people. He could have also I believe could have could have endured physical harm. Think about it. If they killed Jesus, what do you think they would have did to one of their own that would have betrayed him to this Jesus? Joseph knew that by doing something that would honor Jesus, this could cause his life to become extremely difficult. That's why he took a risk and did it anyway and honored Jesus anyway. Listen, sometimes when we make a decision to honor Jesus with our lives, we're going to have to take a risk. When we honor Jesus, when we decide that we're going to be obedient to his word, what he tells us to do, whenever we, we, uh, uh, when we decide to honor Jesus by taking a stand for biblical standards, we're going to have to, we'll have to take a risk. 
You know, with, with, with the way that our society is going and becoming so liberal and so what, what not, even, you know, just this week or last week, I read a, a, an article about a so-called pastor. He's retired now, but that said that if we continue to quote stories from a 2,000-year-old book, that Christianity is going to become irrelevant. This was a guy that pastored a church for years. And so we got to be willing to take a stance and say, no, this is not just a 2,000-year-old book. This is the active living word of God. And, you know, it's sad because even in some church circles, you get smirked at. Well, come on, man. It, you know, it's a good, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, it's a good book and all that. But you can't believe all that stuff you read in the Bible. Come on. There's there's churches that's, that say things like this, but even more so in the world. And, and, to, and remember, because the religious leaders are the one that crucified Jesus. But when you take a stance for truth, for purity, for the sanctity of life, for the sanctity of marriage, one man and one woman coming together, when you stand up and say things like that, you know what? Your life can become a little tough if you haven't found that out already. When you, you stand up and in love tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified, being buried and ro- rising up to life again, the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to take a risk. And we're going to look at that this morning. Greg Lou Calzo said the gospel of Jesus Christ is risky business. Because it liberates, it transforms, it offers us freedom, and it demands faith. Most of the time, we proclaim the good news when we ourselves don't fully comprehend the risk. So what are some of the things that, that we will uh, risk, we will have to face, we might risk when we decide to honor Jesus? I want to share a few with you this morning. Number one, the risk of getting rejected. The risk of getting rejected. Luke 10, 16, then he, being Jesus, said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Jesus makes it very clear that not everybody is going to accept the message of life. Not everybody is going to accept the message of, of the gospel. Some people will reject us. But Jesus said, listen, they're ultimately, religi- ultimately rejecting him and God the Father who sent him. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember when I first got saved and good friends, close friends I had. I mean, right when I got saved, man, they turned on me. I tell you what, they turned on me. And, man, you know, that's good for you, Brandon. But, man, religion's for weak-minded people. I'm like, okay, so you just basically called me weak-minded. I appreciate that, you know. I mean, just little things that just kept on ridiculing me and mocking me. And you know, I've heard me say it before. You know, when I talk to him about it, he's like, man, you, you giving your money to that church? I'm like, yeah, I tithe. Man, why are you giving all your money to that church? And I'm like, so I think about it one day after they said that a while. It's like, you had no problem with me dropping $100 in the bar every night. But I started tithing and I'm giving all my money to this church, right? No, I, I was giving all my money to, to the bars and literally was just going down the drain, you know? I mean... You know, Brother Francis Boer came up to me after the first service and was telling me about how when he first got filled with the Holy Spirit and went back to work, he said, man, everybody's like, hey, Francis, Francis, come here, come here. Tell everybody what happened to you last night. And he's like, okay. And so he began to share with him, and everybody just began to laugh at him and mock him and, and ridicule him. He said, except for one person, and that, that, that brother was Mr. Lincoln. He got saved and started coming here. Miss Rose, it's Miss Rose uh, Roy's uh, husband that got radically saved and, and came here. But he was telling me, sharing how when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, people rejected him and mocked him and ridiculed him because they didn't understand it, you know. 
You may have already experienced this rejection from your friends or family members, especially if you grew up in a certain denomination or certain denominations in church. You know, you, you, you would think that your, your family members are happy for you that you got saved and turned your life over to the Lord. But if you're not going to their church, y'all, you're, so y'all must have experienced this too, then, right? Y'all know how it is. You get rejected from like, I'm doing a good thing. I'm going to church, ma. But, you know, see, religion has a way of doing that. Just like the religious leaders, that I'm telling you, that religious spirit has a way of doing that. If it's not conformed to the way they think it should be, even when you've gotten saved and they can see a true transformation in your life, they want to reject you. You know, I was thinking about like in the, in the, um, in the Islamic world, when, when someone that's a Muslim converts to Christianity, their, their family totally disowns them. The father will totally disown them. Matter of fact, a lot of times they'll actually kill them. I, we just recently just saw, and it's been out a while, we just, me and my family recently watched, you know, God's Not Dead, and it portrayed that in that movie of the girl that had gotten saved and her, 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 her dad, you know, slapped her around and literally threw her out the house, rejected her, disowned her. That's real life. That happens and even furthermore. But remember, listen, let me encourage you now. We see in Luke 4 that Jesus himself was rejected in his own hometown. Really, that's usually where it happens is at home. With your family, right? Come on, Isaac, right? That's usually where it happens at. That's where it starts at. But we also see, as we just read, with the religious leaders of his day, a lot of people. Jesus was real rejected very often. So remember, whenever negative things, uh, any remember, whatever negative uh, things people say or do to you, they did it to Jesus first, and they're ultimately rejecting him, not you. And that's, this is where, okay, how am I going to be, try to, try to encourage you in this. That's how you can be encouraged, is that you know you're on the right path. Listen, I don't know if you've, you've, you've learned this, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or cynical, but not everybody's going to like you. Amen? Jesus said the quite, the opposite is, is quite true. He said, if they hate you, they hated me first. They, you know, be very careful when everybody likes you and, and nobody, I don't, you know, you could be a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but how much are you standing up for biblical truth? How far are you going to honor Jesus? Because if you're doing things that honor Jesus, you're going to look different than most of the people you work around. Amen. And people are not going to like that. And one reason why is because they get convicted in their own sin. I mean, I've, I've talked to people and I'm not even talking to them. I'm just telling them what, what I, what we were doing. Like, for example, me and my wife, we set boundaries before we got married and we made a decision for us. We pray, I prayed and fasted and made a decision about our boundaries that the Lord spoke to me. And one of them was that, you know, we wasn't going to kiss before we got married. And, you know, I remember somebody saying, well, Brandon, kissing is not a sin. I'm like, I never said it's a sin. Why are you so upset? It's my boundaries. You know, why they get mad at me for, you know, you don't have, you can do what you want, you know? But you know, when you take up a kid, I, because I, I explained to him where I knew kissing could lead and I wanted to protect me and my, my bride to be, amen? And so, but people get convicted sometimes when you take a biblical stance. You know, I remember another time tonight, and that's what I'm saying, if you do this, and I'm going to get into that about witnessing and, and telling people about Jesus, sometimes you just sharing your lifestyle with them. I remember another time, um, some of y'all might have heard me t- say this right before we got married as well, when I was painting for a living, we had hired a new guy on our, in our company and we were sitting down for lunch. And so we just started getting to know each other and, and asking us, you know, where, you know, what, what, where I lived and if I was married and all that. And, and before he was smoking and cursing and everything. And, uh, and he said, so, so where do y'all live? Where do you and your fiance live? And I said, oh, well, I live, we, we live in Scott, but I said, I live at a house uh, that I'm renting from my mother-in-law and she lives down the road at her grandmother's. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you're a Christian, huh? I said, I am. Right after that, he started praying over his food. 
You know, it's just like, you know. But that shows you sometimes you just you stand up for the Lord. You you take your stand. Don't be don't be ashamed of your of your biblical standards, of your convictions. Amen. Just that those are two examples how that will witness to people. Just right there. That'll witness to people. And then after that, I mean, then I really, you know, like I always say, you look for an open door and then you kick it wide open. Amen. You look for a crack in the door, should I say. And then after that, I begin to, you know, talk to him and find out that he had got saved and was backslidden and, and the whole nine yards. Amen. But we do run the risk of getting rejected. Number two, the risk of losing friends and family. And this is, come on now. Woo. Somebody done experienced that in here. Come on now. Amen. Y'all alive in the second service today. I'm liking this. Amen. Come on. The risk of losing friends and family. Mark 10, 28 and 31, Jesus said, Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the sake of the good news will receive now. Listen to this. Will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. You know, I read that scripture for many years and was, was thinking like, oh yeah, so like whenever we get to heaven, we're going to be, you know, we're going to get all this stuff. But he said, no, he says, now the Lord, come on, Sean, now the Lord will, if you lost, you know, family and friends, you know, that's what's important about church. You might've lost some family members due to getting saved and being born again. Look around at your family in here. You have a new family. You have a solid family. Amen. You got true friends. I, you know, me personally, I, I've, I never lost like a family member, you know, like got severed any ties or anything. I mean, those of y'all that know my mom was like, my mom was up there with the angels rejoicing when I got saved, you know? And so she prayed for me for many years. And, and, uh, so I never had that, but I did lose like a lot of us you know, lost so-called friends, but I know this scripture to be true for me because, you know, there are so many, you know, there was only two to maybe three friends that really were good friends that I'm still friends with to, to this day after I got saved and they realized I didn't want to do drugs and go to the, the bars and clubs anymore and stuff, you know, and, uh, but when I, I got connected to the local church, the family life, when I got connected to a life group, yes, that's a plug right there. I got connected and, and I, I, I made new friends. I got new friends, and I'm not just saying that we're better than any friends that I ever had. You know, like the scripture says, there's friends that sticks closer to a brother. Come on, Miss Clara, right? And, and, and it's true. You know, better friends than I ever had. You know, because, because those friends that you lost, you stop and think, well, were they friends? Were they really friends at all? Because if they, if they were really friends, you know, you would think they would have stayed with you. And like I said, I have a handful of them that did to, to this day. That have still my friends that I'm, you know, we're still very close. One of them walked in my wedding and talk about him in a little bit. So we do risk maybe losing friends or family, that relationship, you know. Um, you know, I know some of you have had strained or severed family relationships. Uh, the Lord's promise is still true for you, like I said. Not only here to have a new family, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. It's going to be worth it. What Jesus is saying is, you know, some of y'all might have to do that. But how many of y'all know that Jesus himself is worth it? Amen. I started out, and I didn't say this in the first service because, I mean, you know this. Two weeks, we're going to, that day we celebrate, you know, we, my text is, you know, Joseph burying Jesus, but he's not in that grave no more. Amen. He's alive. He's living in us. You know, he is worth it. As that song we sing is going to be worth it all, you know. It's going to be worth it all. But some of us, 
we'll have to risk that. I was actually talking to a young man just this week. And uh, he has a great opportunity. Uh, uh, his dad's a business owner. He has a great opportunity uh, to uh, open a, a different branch of that business in a different area um, and that he would be uh, running that and actually be part owner. Uh, but he shared with his dad that, you know, that he feels like he has a call of God on his life. And so he told his dad, I said, look, dad, if, you know, I'm, I'm all about this and opening this branch up and doing, you know, doing this stuff. But he said, I truly believe that God has called me to ministry. And he's like, I don't have any opportunities. I don't know when this would happen. If it even happens, I just feel the call of God strongly on my life. And in five, 10 years of that happens and God opens up that door, basically, look, man, I'm, I'm going to be going. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'll raise up somebody to, to run it and all that kind of stuff. And basically his dad cursed him out lower than a dog. And he said, well, you know what, then if that's the case, if that's what you're going to do, he said, you know how many people would, would die for the opportunity you have, this, that, and the other? He said, if that's the case, you know, we're going to pull the plug on this whole thing. Don't even worry about it. In essence, go find you another job. And so as I'm sitting here talking with him and praying with him, you know, just, uh, you know, and, and I said, man, you know, not only the risk of, you know, you know, this losing the business, I said, man, it probably put a strain on, on you and your dad, huh? And he said, you don't even know my dad would disown me. So that's a real life example right now. Just, just this week, just past week, there's a young man that is, that is, that is willing to risk it. Risk it all, risk his, his uh, a great career, but even more importantly, his relationship with his father to follow the call of God on his life. He said, hey, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to take that risk. Now, we prayed, and I'm praying that the Lord, you know, restores that relationship, and that doesn't happen, but he's willing. He's willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to take that risk? I know, like I said, it's, it's, I can't imagine. I, I can't, you know, I, I lost my dad and my brother from, from a death. And, but even in that, the Lord has replaced spiritual fathers and, and, like I said, brothers in my life, you know. So I know it's tough, but this is reality, y'all. Amen. I'm just, I want to just, that this is reality. You know, you think about people that go in the mission field and how, you know, I think about Fabian, you know, Fabian and, and Carol in Iraq. I remember eating lunch with Fabian and, and Carol. And, and when he said, when he was saying that, you know, they were, they were leaving, they were living in Florida and then here in North Louisiana and that they were taking, he was telling his in-laws, yeah, I'm taking your uh, daughter to uh, Iraq to live. They're like, what? Are you crazy? You know, but you know what? If you watch the news, you know what goes on in Iraq or what's going on. They're taking a risk. But look, they're, they are not, they're not even swayed, not, not one bit, you know. Number three, the risk of hurting others by speaking the truth. We run the risk of hurting other people by speaking the truth to them. That's a real life risk. Amen. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4.16. So then, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, if you look at, um, if you read earlier in, in Galatians, you know, Paul was, he started out, you know, that chapter by saying, look, when I came to you, you loved me, you welcomed me, you even helped me when I was sick and all this kind of stuff. But Paul had to speak some truth and some correction into that church and they got offended, they got hurt. And, and that's why Paul said that. Paul said, if I become your enemy for speaking the truth, listen, when you speak the truth of the word of God, you're going to make some enemies. You might hurt some people. Like going back to your friends and family, some people might get hurt. Now, I'm not, you know, we always say, you know, we've all heard and said the saying, the truth hurts, right? Some of us have abused that. You know, some of us have like cut people up and said, well, brother, the truth hurts and walked away. And no, like that's not, you know, the way we're talking about. Matter of fact, that's why Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4.15 to speak the truth in what? Speak the truth in love. In both of those scriptures, Paul used the same Greek word. He was using the same thing, speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. 
Yes, listen, when we speak the truth, it can be risky business because when you speak the truth, the whole truth, it may hit hard and it may hurt. But if you speak the truth in love, it'll be easier for people to digest. Amen? It'll still hurt them. Listen, the, the, that, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible says that the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of his sins. I don't know if y'all, but conviction don't feel good. Amen? Anybody had ever had like a soothing conviction? Like conviction usually hurts. It usually, it's not comfortable. That's why it's called being convicted. Somebody gets convicted of a crime, they're not like, oh yeah, great, awesome, I'm convicted, I'm going to prison for 20 years. No. When we get convicted, it's something, it's supposed to mean to change us, to turn us, to turn, to make us uncomfortable where we're at, so we turn from it. Amen? So the truth can hurt. It can hit hard and it can hurt. But like I said, if you do it in love, as Paul said, it'll be easier to digest. I can remember quite a few years back, um, we had some friends of ours. One of, one of the guys that I said that after I got saved, he's a true friend of mine. Um, and we're still good friends to this day. At the time, him and his wife wasn't married and they had a little girl. And, uh, you remember when Passion of the Christ came out, you know, quite a few years back, we thought, man, this would be a, a great, uh, witnessing too. So we, we took this couple, uh, to the movies to, to, to watch the Passion of the Christ and prayed, hoping that it would stir up some questions and that we would be able to use it to witness. And sure enough, they didn't take two steps in the parking lot of the theater and they started firing all kind of questions at us. So we drove home talking to them. We went to the house, sat on our couch and I just, I don't remember everything in detail, but I remember presenting the gospel and they were living together and they weren't married. I began to tell them what the Bible says about being shacked up, about living together, that the Bible calls that fornication. And, and I had presented the gospel and she was saying that she, they were, they were ready or she was more, if I remember right, she was more ripe and one to get saved and everything. And I said, okay, well, that's great, but you're going to have to turn away from this. You and, you know, y'all either get married or y'all going to have to, and she starts crying and she's bawling on my couch saying, yeah, but what about, what about our little girl? You know, she's, I want her to have a family. I want her to have a home. And I said, well, listen, what's more important, your soul or your daughter? And I know that's, I don't mind I said it in those exact words, um, but they knew whatever I said, I was speaking in love. They know I love them. To this day, we're good friends. We still spend time with them. He walked in my wedding. I mean, after I got saved, he walked in my wedding, a great friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine. But you know what? She sat on my couch that night crying and weeping. And, uh, and as far as I know to this day, they still haven't gotten, gotten saved. They still haven't given their lives to the Lord, but they know we love them. They know that everything we spoke to them, the truth about it, how, how hard it was for them to hear that. And we started even talking to them about like their life and marriage and how like you have to, you need to focus on your, your husband needs to be first and then your child. You can't revive around your, your life around your child. That's a whole nother message right there. But it was hard for her because a lot of young moms, the tendency is like baby, 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 you know. And it was hard for her that the, the mind, everything and, and knowing me, I probably like unloaded on her a bunch of stuff. Might have been a little too much. But anyway, she knew. They know that I love them. So if we speak the truth in love, it might hurt. You might have somebody like that sitting on your couch, sitting in the, in the, you know, in, in, in your office space crying. You might have somebody mad at you. You might have somebody mad at you, but you know what? That's a risk you're going to have to take. Because you know, when we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask us how many people we made feel good. He's going to ask us, what did we do with our time here in presenting the gospel? Amen. Number four, number four, we run the risk of going down a rough road for doing right. We run the risk of going down a rough road for doing right, and which pretty much just encapsulates the, the first three points, that everything I'm talking about, 
when we, we do the right thing, when we obey the Lord, when we, when we step out in faith, proclaim the gospel, love on people, do different things, it's not always going to turn out good. It's not always going to be easy. Once again, people will reject you. People will get hurt. You yourself might get hurt. You run the risk of hurting yourself. Because if you, if you get rejected, if you lose a family or friends, that, that's going to hurt you. You run that risk. So things don't always go well when you step out in faith. There's plenty of examples all through the Bible. I'm just going to highlight a few. You know, you think about Joseph. Joseph uh, gets, a, uh, uh, gets thrown to slavery by his brothers. He's a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife continues to throw herself at him. She continues to turn him down, does the right thing. He tells her, how can I do this? This would be a great sin against God. He wasn't saying, like, I don't want to, like, you know, that's your, your husband's my boss. No, he said this would be a sin against God. He took a, a stand for the Lord. And, and didn't pursue that physical relationship, turned her down, ran away from the sexual temptation. And what happens? Did they congratulate him, give him a promotion and send him back home? No, he got thrown in jail for two years for doing the right thing, right? He stood up for God. He did the right thing and he gets thrown in jail. You think about Moses. God calls Moses and says, hey, go to, back to Egypt, go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because I'm going to free, I'm going to set my people free. All right. All right. He, he, he argues with God for all, but he says, okay, Lord, I'm going to go. Me and Aaron, we're going to go. Tell him to set my people free. So he goes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, the Lord says, set my people free. What does Pharaoh say? I don't know the Lord. Who's this Lord you're talking about? I'm not going to set your people free. Matter of fact, you're just saying this because they're lazy. They're going to even work harder. He made, he, they were already enslaved. He put harsher restrictions on them, made them work even harder to where whenever uh, you know, had to make bricks, uh, had a certain quota every day, and they, the, the Egyptians would supply the straw. But now he said, you go get your own straw and make the same amount of bricks. So when the people find this out, Moses comes out saying, hey, I'm, I, I'm doing good. I'm I was obedient to the Lord. This was hard, but I went to Pharaoh and I told him. Then he comes out, finds all this out, and the people are like, Moses, what are you doing? I thought you were supposed to be helping us. Instead, you made our life even harder. Dude, I wish you would have never came here. Moses was probably like, Lord, what, what, did, you, what did you do? You told me to come here. Now it's, it, it, everything's going, it's getting worse. Anybody ever been there? Lord, I feel like I'm doing what you told me to do and it's getting worse. It's going downhill. Joseph, Moses, you think about the prophets. The prophets preached God's word, was obedient to God, and had to bring some tough words. I think about one in particular, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was in jail. They go get him out of jail to just to throw him in a cistern, basically a deep pit with some mud in it. He probably thinks, oh, man, cool, I'm free. Oh, no, I'm back in a pit now, you know? Why? Because he was preaching the word of God with truth. You think about the 12 disciples and Paul. All of them, the Bible says, they flipped the world upside down. They were obedient. They, 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 they heeded Jesus' words to go and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. All of them were beaten, thrown in jail, and every single one of them, including Paul, were martyred except for John. And they tried to kill John and couldn't, so they ended up exiling him. None of these guys' lives were easy. They took a risk. They literally risked their own lives, their safety, their security. To, to stand up for Jesus, like Joseph, to, to, to honor him. If it wasn't for them, speaking of multiplying, we wouldn't be here today, right? It, the gospel multiplied greatly because of those 12 men. And then, of course, Jesus went down the roughest road that any man could ever travel that led to Golgotha in the grave. You know, I, I'm saying all this because I still think sometimes we think whenever tough times come that maybe it's maybe because we're doing something wrong. 
Or maybe we're all of the will of God. Or maybe, you know, God didn't show up. No, the opposite is true. When all hell is breaking loose around you, it might mean you're doing something right. Amen? It might mean that, once again, Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They rejected me, they're going to reject you. So we need to have the mindset, we risk that, listen, this can be a rough road to hold you know, in front of us. Be encouraged, though. Be encouraged. The Lord always sees and rewards when we do right. 1 Peter 3.13 says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager, eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing right, God will reward you. He sees, and we're going to talk about that, the rewards, right? You have to take a risk to get a reward. God sees when you go down a rough road, when you're going down a rough road. And I understand, listen, it's natural to not want to go through tough times. Nobody says, man, wake up this morning and some good suffering would be good. Today, I hadn't suffered in a while. Maybe, maybe I can just suffer today. That'd be awesome, you know? Does anybody ever get up in the morning and say that? No, it's natural that you don't want to suffer. Jesus himself, the son of God, Mark 14, 35 and 36 says, he went on a little further, fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It's natural to not want to go through tough times. But like Jesus We must desire God's will over our comfort. We must desire to do God's will over our own safety and comfort. His will is for us to multiply. And multiplication often comes from tough times. Once again, you look at the the book of Acts, and the reason the church exploded is because of the great persecution. The reason the church is exploding in China is because they've they've been persecuted for so many years. Amen? In the toughest times comes the greatest multiplication. Y'all still tracking with me? All right. I'm going to give you four quick things that, that I believe keep us from taking a risk and also the ways to overcome it. The number one thing is fear. The number one thing is fear. Even as I've been speaking this morning, and when I started talking about you're going to run the risk of getting rejected, you're going to run the risk of losing some family and friends, even this morning, for some of y'all, the first emotion that came up was fear. There's a hesitancy, uh, you're hesitant because of the risk you might have to face. And, and right away that fear came up, and, 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 and you maybe want to not do what I'm encouraging you to do this morning. But listen, y'all, fear will keep us from flourishing in the Lord. John 19, 38 and 39. This is John's perspective of what happened with Joseph of Arimathea, where we started our text we began in. Look what it says. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body down. John called Joseph a secret disciple because he feared, because he feared what the religious leaders would do to him. That's where we started. Remember, he feared that the Jewish leaders might reject him, harm him, cast him out, whatever the case may be. And so John refers to him as a secret disciple. Remember, we had another secret disciple. His name was Nicodemus because he went to meet Jesus at night. 
He didn't go talk to Jesus during the day. He went and he snuck away with Jesus at night. They wanted to serve the Lord. They wanted, but because of their status, because of their power, because of everything they known, they were secret disciples, really wanting to follow Jesus, but not really wanting anybody to know about it. You probably know the question I'm about to ask you, huh? Are you a secret disciple? Do you come to church every Sunday, maybe even Wednesday? But when you get to work on Monday, does people around you know that you're a disciple? That you're a disciple of Christ? I love how the scripture says he had been a secret disciple. See, because once Joseph asked for Jesus' body, his secret was out. Amen? It wasn't a secret anymore. Joseph finally was like, after he got crucified, he said, man, whatever. I'm taking a risk. And I'm going to ask for Jesus' body so I can honor him. I didn't honor him when I was alive, but at least I can maybe honor him now. And you know what? He was, his secret was out. I'm, I'm not a secret disciple. I'm showing that I'm, I'm one of his disciples. Once you step out and speak up for Jesus, it will blow your cover. Amen? But it will be the best thing that you ever did since you got saved. It's one thing to get saved, but it's another thing to come out and be bold for the Lord, which we're going to talk about. Like I said earlier, come on, if there's any secret disciples in here, everybody else is coming out of the closet. You might as well come out of the closet too, amen? Come out of the closet for Jesus to be bold, be a disciple, proclaim it, amen? So how do you overcome fear? How do you overcome fear quickly? These two might seem obvious, but, but these scriptures are so powerful. The first is spend time with Jesus. I want to set this up because this is literally one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. In Acts 4, Peter and John had just healed a lame man. So they got arrested by the council. Again, the same, same group of guys got arrested by the high council, and they begin to question them. You know, what, why are you doing all this? What, whose name you're preaching and all this kind of stuff. So they arrested them. Then finally they felt like, well, we ain't got no charges. We got to release them. They didn't know how to punish them. So they just told them, listen, stop preaching in Jesus' name. Are we going to, you know, beat you? Throw you back in jail. Maybe you crucify you too. Acts just says they threaten them. So as they start questioning them and telling them all this stuff, Peter responds to their questioning. This is what he says in Acts 4, 13 and 14. 14. Well, this is after he responded. I'm sorry. This was the council's take on Peter's response. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the bonus of Peter and John. For they can see that they were ordinary men with no tr- special training in the scriptures. Come on, I can relate to that right there. How many of y'all, I'm an ordinary man. Come on, somebody. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That's why I love that scripture. I've never been to seminary. I've never had any kind of, you know, special training in that sense. But thank God, I can go be with Jesus. It says that they spoke boldly and they recognized they had been with Jesus. You know why? Because the more... You spend time with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are as bold as what? A lion. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. The more we spend time with the Lord, the more we become like him. So spend time with Jesus. Two, pray specifically for bonus. Once Peter and, 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 uh, Peter and John left after their, you know, arrest in the meeting with the high council, they go back to the rest of the believers and they, and, and they said, man, hey, what's going on? What happened? He said, well, they arrested us. They commanded us not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they threatened us with all kind of horrible threats. The first thing that the people did was pray. 
And listen how they pray. It said, Acts 4.24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. Listen, one of the things they prayed, you can read it in Acts 4, it's a long prayer. One of the things specifically they prayed, Acts 4.29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. I love that. Great boldness. Not mediocre, not just a little bit of boldness to get me through the day. Great boldness. Amen? And then look at verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with what? Boldness. Ask and you shall receive. If, you, if you're, you know, fearful about, and it's not just proclaiming, but it is about, you know, presenting the gospel, preaching the gospel, or just standing up for the Lord where you're at in your workplace or in your family, or the risk that we're talking about, losing family, getting rejected. Listen, spend time with the Lord. Pray specifically for boldness. Begin to claim that scripture. Write that down. Proverbs 28, 1, that the righteous is as bold as a lion. Begin to quote that. Begin to speak that over yourself. Listen, you may see, feel like a little kitty cat, but proclaim that I'm as bold as a lion. Amen? Amen. Number two, one of the reasons we don't take risks is that we don't make time for others. My wife was the only one that agreed with that. We don't make time for others. Listen, I said we. I didn't say y'all, right? I'm just as guilty. Mark 6, 30 and 34. Listen to what it says. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Then they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. And all the fishermen said, amen. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got, got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I know, I understand, we all live in a super busy society. We all live in super busy lifestyles. I understand that. The Bible says that they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. Now, that's happened. I know I've missed lunch sometimes, but... They were so busy, they were exhausted. The apostles just come back from a ministry tour, but yet still they made time. How do we overcome this? Be flexible in your schedule. Be flexible in your schedule. When you have opportunities to love on people, to help people, to, 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 to serve at church, be flexible. I understand we're all busy, but listen, once again, I believe when we get to heaven, the Lord's not going to ask us to see our planner and see how many targets we hit every month. Amen? He's going to want to know what we did with our gifts, our talents, the anointing. How did we multiply? And that's fine. I understand we all have schedules. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm busy as anybody. And like I said, this is for me too. We need to be flexible in our schedules. Listen, we just read in the scripture, Jesus and the disciples put their plans on hold and made time for the people. Amen? They made time for the people. We need to do the same. You know, and that's going to risk us not being able to do some of the things we might want to do, right? Right? I better move on here. <laughs> but we do. That, that's part of it. That's, we're going to have to, we're going to have to make time, right? There's no, I mean, there's no two ways. Oh, well, brother, if I have time, you're not going to have time. Let me just debunk that theory right there. 
If I have time, because even on vacation, you seem, if you stay at home for vacation, you're probably busier than when you're working. Because you got all these, right guys, at least the guys, we got a honey do list and all the stuff to do around the house, right? We got to make time for priority. Amen. We're busy. We need to make time for God's business though, right? Jesus said, didn't you know I was about my father's business at 13 years old? We need to be about our father's business and make time. Amen. Okay. I'm really moving on now. Number three, another reason we might not take risk or we don't take risk is just a lack of compassion. It's because we don't care. It's because we don't care. Mark 3, I'm sorry, 6, 34. We just read it. I'm going to read verse 34 again. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I've said it a million times, and I'll continue to say it. Every time Jesus had compassion on somebody in the Bible, it says something supernatural happened right after. Because not only did Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't just say, okay, look, we got all these people. We're hungry. We're tired. We're going off to a quiet place. Just gather them around. We'll do a little morning devotional, and then they can go. No, it says that he taught them many things. And then, oh, yeah, he fed the 5,000 too. He did a miracle. And, and it all started with his compassion. With his com- compassion is the key to multiplication. Because it'll be true multiplication. We'll want to, when you have compassion, you'll make time for people. Amen. When you have compassion, when, you know, how do we, how do we gain compassion for people? Number one, we stop focusing on ourselves. That's really the biggest thing right there. I really could stop right there. We, we need to stop focusing on ourselves. You know, I was reading a book um, just this week or last week, and a guy was talking about how his mentor was encouraging him to continue on in the joy of the Lord. And he's like, yeah, but I have all this stuff. His life was crumbling around him. And then he said he, he thought about it, and the Lord told him, he said, you were able to have joy last year when there was all kind of people around you suffering. Why aren't you able to have joy this year? Because it's you. And he answered it, because I care more about myself than other people. That's the bottom line. When I read that, I'm like, okay, I'm closing the book and going to bed. That's enough right there. But it's, it's totally convicting. Isn't that true? There's people suffering all around us, in our families, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, all over the place. We see people suffering. We know. I mean, we know. We get prayer requests daily at the church, and I see it. So why, if it happened, why can I go in my life if it's them, but I can't go in my life if it's me? Compassion comes when you stop focusing on what you don't have, what you're going through. Once again, you realize I'm going to go down a rough road. I might as well help people while we're all on this road together. That's what compassion is. Amen? And then also pray for compassion. Once again, I pray that, Lord, give me the compassion of Jesus. Let the compassion of Jesus flow from my heart. You know why I pray that, saints? Because I know I need more compassion. That's why I pray that. Not because I'm more spiritual than you, because I know I need it. Because I lack it. I know if I had more compassion, I could do more. The Lord can use me more. Amen? And then the last thing that keeps us from taking risks is that we don't think the risk is worth the reward. We don't think the risk is worth the reward. Romans 8, 18 says, but it is. Amen? It is. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. What we suffer now, the risks we take, the things we lose, cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed on that day, saints. Amen? I, I see Paul and I feel that even in that scripture, Paul saying, you know what? You won't even remember the stuff you went through once you get to heaven. You're going to be like, what earth? Where is that? Have I been there before? Because we're going to be in the glory. Amen? 
We're going to be transformed. If we're going to be just like Jesus, even if we know we're not going to have the ability to be like, oh, yeah, man, I was, whew, you remember that? That was tough down there. It won't matter. It won't matter. That's the reward. The ultimate reward is heaven. The ultimate reward is spending eternity with Jesus. Amen? How do you overcome this not thinking that the risk is worth the reward? Well, focus on the reward. Colossians 3, 1 and 3. I know you have heard me say it many times. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about heaven where our reward lies. Listen, you've heard the saying, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Amen? You might have to risk it all, but the reward is greater than you could ever imagine. The rewards, plural, which we're going to get into now. But I want to, real quick, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I, was, I was reminded, I was reading up on some stuff about uh, Tim Tebow. Everybody know who Tim Tebow is? You know, man, a guy considered one of, look, I got a Gator right here. That's for you, Brian. Brian's a, a Florida Gators fan. One of the greatest, they say maybe the greatest college football uh, in, in player in history, but, but a man of God. And I don't know, some of y'all probably know this already, but whenever his mom was pregnant for him, his parents of uh, missionaries to the Philippines, his mom got really, really ill, and the doctors told her that she needed to have an abortion. Because it might, if she had this child, it can cost her her life. She can lose her life and maybe even the child in the process. She said, there's no way. This is powerful. When she was pregnant with this baby, then just, just getting pregnant, found out she was pregnant. She said, there's no way I'm boarding this baby. I'm going to name him Timothy and he's going to preach the gospel. How many of y'all know Tim Tebow is living out to the words that his mom's saying? Listen, she took an incredible risk. She risked her own life to have this baby. And when you say he's multiplying... He's multiplying the kingdom. It's one thing to be a great college football player, and he is. I, I watched him live playing against LSU, and he won national championships, Heisman Trophy. But greater than all that, that those rewards, I, I could tell it's not even that big of a deal. I see him. I love it. ESPN aired him preaching in a prison and doing an altar call for Jesus. Not on a Christian station, on ESPN. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. That's the kind of man of God that he is that he multiplied. It all started with his mom taking a risk. Amen? So what will be our reward? We know our rewards are great. Well, in this life right here, every time a soul gets saved, that's a reward. Every time a life gets healed, that's a reward. Every time a marriage gets restored, that's a reward. Every time a baby gets saved at the pregnancy center and clinic, that's a reward. Come on, somebody. Those are the rewards we have here on earth. But in our heavenly rewards, we know Jesus, he says it. He talks about the rewards. Matthew 24, 46, Jesus said, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. In Luke 14, 12 and 14, when he's given a parable about inviting people to luncheons, a banquet, he said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, or rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be the only reward you get. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. As I begin to think about this, I want to stop for a minute as we close and just commend you. Y'all did a great job the last couple of weeks leading up to Bonton. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a hand. Because I know many of you, the reason I'm saying that is many of you invited people to Bonton. Many of you invited your neighbors, coworkers, maybe family members, and you came out. We had a bunch of people here. I know over 20 souls got saved last Sunday. Amen. So I want to congratulate you. 
That's awesome. Listen, let's keep the momentum going, church. As a matter of fact, that, 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 um, that thank you comes from Pastor Todd himself as well. But I want to encourage you, in two weeks, it's going to be Easter. And some people only go to church uh, on, uh, on Christmas and Easter, right? I want to encourage you. As I read the scripture, I was thinking, man, you know, looking at it in modern day, you know, don't invite uh, people that can pay you back. I want to challenge you. Those of you are invited to Bonta, that's great. Now that you can't invite the same people, I want to challenge you the next two weeks, go invite somebody you've never invited to church before. Go invite somebody you might not never see again that you know in no way can repay you or thank you or any of that kind of stuff. Because you know what? That's, that's part of the, the reward is I believe, you know, Jesus said in Revelation twenty two twelve. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all according to those deeds. What are the rewards? Paul talks about there's a crown laid up for me in heaven. There's crowns, there's rewards. Many say that the Jews that are going to be in the crowns are going to represent the people that we help lead to the Lord. But it's the people themselves. We can't take any of this stuff with us. No matter how much you like your, your toys and your tools and none of that's coming with this. Amen? Isn't it going to be awesome? I, and I just think about this. Inviting somebody maybe to Easter or Bontar, maybe just see that you planted. Maybe even like I was talking about, you just standing up for the Lord, talking about the Lord. You might not have even talked to somebody directly. And when you get to heaven, when you see Jesus in all his glory and you worship him and, and, and you know, in, in all of that moment, I believe there's going to be people that are going to come back from around from Jesus and be like, man, you know, what are you doing up here? He said, well, you remember that one day that you told me this? It didn't look like it, and it didn't look like I would ever listen to you. But down the road, I got saved. There might be people you never met. They'll walk up to you and hug your neck and say, thank you. And you'd be like, uh, who are you? Well, you didn't realize it, but I was watching you that day in the grocery store. I heard what you said that day. I heard what you did. I saw the way you treated your kids. You didn't even know me. And I saw how you were, you were standing up for Jesus and your love from Jesus. And because of that, later and down the road, I ended up getting saved. I'm here today because of you. That's the reward, church. Is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Come on, stand up with me. That's the great reward. That's all that matters. In the end, that's all that's going to matter. Hey, listen, remember, the fruit of any tree is on the end of the limbs. Amen? We can't keep hugging the trunk. We got to step out on the limb if we're going to produce fruit and we're going to multiply. Are you willing? Are you willing to take the risk? Come on. Everybody bow with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today, my God, that is bound up with fear. Lord, that you would break fear off of their life. That's been keeping them from stepping out and sold out to you and living for you. Lord, if there's anyone, Lord God, that that has a lack of compassion for all of us, God, increase our compassion. Help us to make time in our busy schedules, Lord God. Help us to realize that the reward is worth every risk. You are worth it. Lord Jesus, you are our great reward. Lord Jesus, you are our great reward and the people that you are using us to reach. I thank you, Father. I pray that that would be imparted in each and every one of us and we would know it and understand it. Now, still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know the Lord, the greatest risk you're taking is eternity separated from him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if I'm talking about this and, 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 and talking about encouraging the church to preach the gospel and love on people and leading them to Jesus, you say, well, Brandon, I never even, I've never come to Jesus. Maybe I've been coming to church, but you know what? I read this morning where it says that in Romans that, uh, 
Oh, what, what, the, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin has been put out of sight. Yes, the joy for those whose record of sin has been cleared. Maybe you've been walking around with a full record of sin that's been weighing you down and it hasn't been forgiven or cleared because you've never asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never made him the Lord of your life. If that's you and you say, Brandon, I need to get right with God. I don't want to risk my eternity anymore. I want to get it right today. I want you to slip up your hand. If that's you, come on, let's take this moment. If that's you, slip up your hand. Say, Brandon, I need to get right with Jesus. I need to get my, my life right with the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that, Lord God, you have called us, you've chosen us. Lord God, you've saved us, as Pastor Elijah said, on purpose for a purpose, Lord. And I thank you that the purpose, Lord God, will will cause us to face risk. But I thank you that the rewards are far greater than any risk we take. Father, I pray your blessing and your anointing, your grace, the compassion, and the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon all those today that are here and as they go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.